Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Good morning, Covenant. For those of you who might not know me, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant. It has been, I think, eight years since I've stood up here. Uh, The last time I did this, I think, was in 2013. My wife and I have been at this church, however, for 33 years. We started coming here in 1988. We have raised four children here. They are now all parents themselves. We have seven grandchildren and two more expected early this coming year. So we are really enjoying this time of our lives. And it is an honor for me to be here uh, to, to deliver this message to you. My prayer is that God may be glorified and that we might be blessed. Um, when Pastor Joel asked me to speak, I thought it would be fitting for me to build upon his series on peace in Psalm 23. So I've entitled this message, The Heart of Psalm 23. And that title has a double meaning for me. First of all, Psalm 20, this is the part of Psalm 23, the phrase in Psalm 23 that I would propose is the pivotal, crucial phrase in the entire psalm. And also the heart of Psalm 23 is the heart that we need to have in order to receive all the benefits described in this psalm, that they can become ours. So, what do you suppose this phrase is that I'm proposing would be the heart of Psalm 23? This is a three-word phrase, and it's the only phrase in the psalm that is repeated, that appears twice. Anybody? So, to help with this, I've asked them to make a slide of the first three verses, because that's where this phrase appears, the first three verses of Psalm 23, and uh, you'll see them behind, I, they are there. Um, let, me, let me go through this, and maybe you'll hear this phrase repeated as I say this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay? Anybody catch? If you know, did you see the phrase? Raise your hand if you did. So what is is the crucial phrase in this psalm that I'm proposing? Anybody? Yes. He leads me. Why is that phrase so pivotal for us? Most everything else in this psalm describes what the shepherd sovereignly does for the sheep. But here in this phrase, he leads me, we find two parties, he and me, who must work together. He leads is a given. That's what the shepherd is always faithfully doing. But what about me? What am I, the sheep, doing in response to the shepherd? There are really only two options, aren't there? One is I'm following the shepherd, 
or I'm wandering off on my own and doing my own thing. So these two options could be summarized as he leads me or I lead me. All of the peace and the satisfaction available to us in this psalm flow from he leads me, whereas all the misery and the sin of humanity flow from I lead me. That is why this is the pivotal phrase of this psalm. Everything hangs on this. Who is the one leading our lives? Now here is God's indictment upon humanity. Adam and Eve were the first to switch from he leads me to I lead me when they refused to believe that the God who created them was the only one who should lead them. When they ate the fruit that God had warned them would lead to death, they did it because they thought that their way would bring them greater satisfaction than his way. They chose, I lead me. And when they did that, they infected the entire human race, all of us, with the same craving to turn away from God and choose our own way instead. That craving is there before we're born, and it shows up at a very early age. Recently, my wife and I were on the phone with our daughter, who had it on speakerphone, and in the middle of our conversation, she interrupts and says, No, honey, don't, stop, yucky, yucky. She heard from across the room her son, our one-year-old grandson, playing happily in the toilet, which had thankfully been flushed. But you tell a toddler repeatedly what to do, but they don't want to be led. They wait for mom to go away, and then they do it again because playing in the toilet is fun. And running out in traffic is exciting. And when you try to stop them, they get angry at you. They just want to be happy, and you are ruining it. And then they get a little older, and they say, when I grow up, I'm going to do whatever I want. And that is ominous, because all of us know that there are innumerable adult versions of playing in the toilet. And there are innumerable adult versions of running out in traffic. And as soon as something is forbidden, that's exactly what we want even more. It's because we crave self-rule, and it's infected the entire human race since Adam and Eve. The prophet Isaiah says it this way. And this is from Isaiah, by the way, 53, Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I want to look at this verse a little more closely. First, he says, we are like sheep. Of all the animals that God has created, the one animal that he repeatedly compares us to in the Bible, the one that illustrates the human race, is sheep. Sheep have a combination of traits that may sound familiar. I'll give you four of them. Pastor Joel has alluded to some of these. 
Number one, having a stubborn self-will. Number two, engaging in habit patterns that are self-destructive yet unwilling to change them. Number three, being easily led by other sheep down senseless paths. And number four, being completely defenseless without claws or speed or strength or a hard shell and sometimes even unable to get back up on their feet if they fall over sideways. And God says, yes, this describes you and me. This combination of being gullible, self-destructive, defenseless, and quite sure that we're right makes us all easy prey to be devoured by our enemies, which is true even for those of you out there who think you're the most capable. Because look at this verse again. Who is included in this indictment? It's stated twice. We all and every one. No exceptions. Whoever you are, no matter how gifted you are, God is talking to you. And what does he say that we all have done? We have gone astray. We have turned. Turned from what? Turned from the Lord, our shepherd. And turned toward what? To his own way. Which ultimately, for sheep, is straight into the jaws of predators. This is who we are. We are sheep. And we all live here in sheep world. And we desperately need a shepherd to lead us, but we constantly decide instead to walk in our own way and are proud of ourselves for doing it. Now, fast forward about a thousand years from the time that David wrote Psalm 23 to when a man comes on the scene in Israel. The God who created us and the whole world has taken on a human body, remaining fully God while becoming fully man, like an artist who paints a beautiful scene on canvas and then steps forward into his own painting to live there. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's who we have in Jesus of Nazareth. And that man steps forward and teaches us in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As if to say, remember when King David said, the Lord is my shepherd? He was singing about me. I am that shepherd. I am the fulfillment of Psalm 23. I created you. I designed you to be like sheep who desperately need a shepherd in order to thrive and not die. And now I have come to you to be that shepherd. I am inviting you to follow me. I can provide for you all the peace and satisfaction that David sang about, but if you want to follow me, here is what is required. And to see what it is that Jesus requires for us, to, to, for him to be our shepherd, we have to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, if you want to follow along, or I think it'll be up on the slide. Remember how we started by saying that the heart of Psalm 23 was, He leads me. Everything flows from He leads me. 
but everyone wants to turn and go his own way and live as if I lead me. This is what Jesus is going to be addressing in this passage that I'm about to read. I'm going to read this and I'm going to interrupt with some comments. This is Luke 9, starting in verse 23. And he said to all, this is Jesus speaking, and he said to all, that's to everyone, ultimately to the whole world, if anyone would come after me, meaning if anyone wants, he leads me, anyone wants him to be their shepherd, three things are needed. Number one, let him deny himself. Number two, let him take up his cross daily. Number three, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now for the rest of this message, I'm going to cover in detail these three points that are needed for Jesus to be our shepherd. Number one, let him deny himself. What does this mean? I want to start by saying a couple things that it does not mean. First of all, Jesus is not merely saying that we should stop being so selfish. Now that's probably good advice, but that's not what this passage is about. Secondly, he does not say, let him deprive himself. A lot of well-meaning people in church history have thought that the way to follow Jesus best would be to focus on getting rid of all the world's stuff, living without material goods, without getting married, isolating yourself from other people, going without food, even punishing your own body. Now, Jesus may call us to do some of these things in the process of falling, but that's not what this passage is talking about either. Jesus says, let him deny himself. What does this word deny mean? I think the best way to look at this is to see another part of the Bible, the main part where this word deny is used. And that's a familiar phrase when Jesus tells Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So the word deny, which is what Peter ended up doing, means to disown, to renounce, to turn your back on. So when Jesus says deny yourself, he's saying something like this, disown yourself, renounce yourself, turn your back on yourself. The opposite of this is affirm yourself, assert yourself, believe in yourself, trust yourself. And is this not the message that we get constantly from the American culture from the time we're this tall? I mean, think about what we learned in grade school, the kinds of slogans that we got. You can complete these. If it's going to be, it's up to me, right? Whatever you can believe, you can achieve. Last week I saw a little girl with a t-shirt with Elsa from Frozen and the caption on the bottom was, believe in yourself. And then you get to high school graduation and they pull out this poem called Invictus, the one that says, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. Do you see what's happened here? In a world that has forsaken and renounced God, the chief 
among God replacements is self. God has been removed as the object of our worship, and in his place, self has ascended the throne, with each person ruling over his little kingdom of one. You write your own rules, you decide your own truth, and you are in control. This was Satan's first marketing scheme to Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3 when he said, basically, if you just ignore what God says, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. And they bought it, and they were ruined by it. And the result is that we all have this inborn craving for self-rule, which is self-worship. And frankly, all of this talk of being the captain of my fate and the master of my soul is really a bunch of ridiculous, chest-thumping swagger. We're not that smart. We're not that strong. And we're not designed for self-rule. We're like sheep who are pretending to be like God. So when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, he's saying, renounce yourself as God replacement. Stop trusting yourself. Stop ruling yourself. Because no one can live a life of he leads me without first renouncing the life of I lead me. Now, it has to be said that no one who begins to trust in Jesus or is a new believer jumps from he leads, I lead me to he leads me in one big step. It takes time to develop trust in any relationship, and the Lord knows this. So we spend time, all of us to some extent, in a kind of hybrid. Not as godless as I lead me, and not as righteous as he leads me, but in a kind of middle path of I lead him. This is an improvement from our pre-Christian ways when we didn't care about God. At least now, God is in the picture. But I lead him looks like this. I am still the one charting the course. I'm still the one in charge. And I have placed God in the role of my advisor, my consultant, my helpful assistant, even my rescuer if need be. I remember years ago when some well-meaning Christians obviously had this mindset, when they began putting bumper stickers on their car that said, God is my co-pilot. Remember those? It's, it's been a while. These were popular for a while until I suppose some of these people started think, asking themselves, wait a minute, if God is my co-pilot, then who's flying this plane? Now, if at this point in your faith, it looks mostly like God is my co-pilot, or if you've come here just trying to find biblical, helpful advice, but the idea of giving up the pilot seat isn't, doesn't appeal to you, that's okay, but, but don't get stuck there. Don't stay there. Keep moving forward. We all are moving forward in this regard. And, but understand that God is my co-pilot is not authentic Christianity. That's not the goal God has for you. 
the ultimate goal is for you and God to permanently switch seats so that you leave all the driving to him. The danger of not doing this is explained in one of the Proverbs. This is both Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. It's one of the few Proverbs that's repeated twice verbatim. And this is what it says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Whew. Now, you may be driving and saying to yourself, well, this way seems good, this path feels right, but of course, you can't see how bad the end is, and you can't see how soon it's coming. But there is someone who can, and he's infinitely wiser and more capable than you. So as much as we possibly can, let's surrender the wheel to him. That is the way of the peace and security of Psalm 23. Number two, take up your cross. Take up his cross daily. Now, I warn you, this is a hard metaphor to grasp. But we're going to, let's, let's go with this. In Jesus' day, the cross was an instrument of capital punishment. It was a way that people were put to death. Anyone who saw a man carrying a cross knew that he was going to his death by crucifixion and he wouldn't be seen again. Now Jesus is calling us to live like that man every day. He says, take up his cross daily. Take up is a purposeful daily act. Every day when you wake up, you take up the cross and you live constantly in the place of your death. This sounds strange. The Bible talks about this a lot. Paul gives us a similar picture in Romans 12, verse 1. He says this, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Living means alive. Sacrifice means dead. A sacrifice is a dead animal on an altar. So, constantly live on the altar of your death. Constantly carry the instrument of your death. Jesus is calling us to be living and dead at the same time. Alive to him and dead to that which is living in us that insists on its own way. So many biblical passages talk about this. this you could do a whole sermon series on this, but I'll just give you one of them. And this is from 2 Corinthians 5. And this is what it says. We have concluded this, that one has died for all. That's Jesus. Therefore, all have died. That's all true believers. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, what does this dead life look like? I think at issue here is what we would call our agenda. We have a certain way we want the future to go. We have certain people we want with us, certain things we want, certain outcomes we want, but all that goes away when we die. 
Does it not? And living a life of He leads me requires a kind of death in which I surrender all those desires to Him because His agenda will surely be different from mine. And guess whose agenda prevails? Proverbs 19.21 says this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's kingdom is eternal, but our lives on this earth are so short, and all the things of this world are passing away. So in our hearts, we must not clutch or cling to the things of this this world. All we have is on loan from God and must be held loosely with open hands so that he can work his agenda in our lives and we can be at peace as he does. That goes for our day-to-day schedules. That goes for our sense of our personal rights, things that we need to hold in our open hands. It goes for having our parents, our siblings. It goes for having our spouses, our children, our grandchildren. That goes for our homes, our possessions, our bank accounts. That goes for our future hopes and dreams and our retirement plans. And it goes for our bodies, our health, our memory, our capacity for independent living, our length of years. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. So number one, in deny ourselves, we have renounced the false god of self. Number two, take up your cross daily. We have died to self and its agenda. And that has prepared us for number three, follow me. These are the words Jesus always used to call his disciples on earth. And with these same words, he calls us today. The word follow means that we put our complete trust in him and in his agenda as we walk with him as the one in control. It means he sets our course, our direction, our pace. And we are called to forsake our own way, to go with him, to follow his example, to imitate him, to serve him. The word me, if we emphasize follow me, is exclusive. We follow only him and no one else. This is a call to watch out for and renounce every false god that we turn to for security. For example, human institutions, as we've seen in the current COVID pandemic, human institutions can be a great source of help, but we should expect that they will fail us because they are not God. Psalm 146, verse 3, says this, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. And then there's this cautionary quote on the topic of follow me that has always interested me. In John 12, verse 26, it says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, 
if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Now, why would Jesus have to say, if anyone serves me, he must follow me? I think this speaks to those in leadership in the church, as many of us are, that we must be led by Jesus if we're going to serve. I suppose some might think that they are serving him, but they're off doing it by themselves, in their own way and on their own terms, being arrogant or angry or disobedient or grasping for position. And people who do this are no longer serving Jesus, but rather something else that they've put in his place. We need to avoid that. So, number one, deny himself. Renounce the false god of self. Number two, take up his cross daily. Constantly live as dead to self and its agenda. Number three, follow me. Trust completely and only in Jesus to be in control of your life. That is the only way that we can live the life of he leads me that we see in the 23rd Psalm. And the only way to have the peace that it promises. The problem we face is that our hearts, apart from the supernatural intervention of God, will not and cannot do any of this. This is how the Bible describes natural man. This is from Romans 3, and it's quotes from the Old Testament, specifically in this case, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, which are identical in the beginnings. And this is, what the Bible, this is how the Bible describes natural man. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. This is what God says about us. All of mankind desperately needs a shepherd, and at the same time, our natural man inclination is to push him away because there's nothing in our stubborn and hard hearts that desires God. So in order to get all the benefits of Psalm 23, we need a miracle. Wouldn't it be great if God could get on the inside of us and change our hearts and change our desires so that we could want to follow him? Yes, that is exactly what he does. The gospel, the good news, is that God does come to us and does do that. When we invite his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and live in us, he slowly changes our hearts and minds so that the things of this world that we thought we had to have gradually lose their appeal while at the same time, our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, gradually becomes the greatest treasure of our lives. The amazing grace of God is this. Whatever he asks from us, he first gives to us. If he asks me to lose my life for him, the spirit in me will give me the capacity to do it. That's the spirit's job to change us from the inside so that we want to do what he calls us to do. And that is the promise that Paul gives us 
in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 2, verse 13, says this, For it is God who works in you and me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, the Spirit works in us to make us desire what pleases him and also to make us do what pleases him. Then he leads me becomes our way of life. There is no way to experience the peace of Psalm 23 otherwise. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are our shepherd. Thank you that you have come to us fully God and fully man and offered to give us the peace that David promised. Lord, thank you that you have given us of your spirit, that your spirit lives in us. And I pray for anyone who doesn't have your spirit living in him. I pray, Father, that you would give them your spirit, that you would cause them to come, cause them to ask, and that you would use your Holy Spirit in us to cause us to continue to work for your good pleasure and to do your good pleasure and to will your good pleasure because you are working in us to cause those things to happen. That is our hope. That is the hope of our salvation. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.